Good evening and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Today's episode is brought to you by RockAuto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, RockAuto.com. On tonight's episode, we are going to be breaking down Winnipeg's triumphant comeback win against the Calgary Flames. Now, they didn't actually trail at any point in tonight's game, but I call it a comeback win because I think in light of all of the circumstances surrounding this particular game, this series, and what has transpired for and against the Jets, this was a much-needed victory 3-2 against the Calgary Flames to even the series 1-1. We'll start off with, I think, each part of the team, starting with the forwards, and I would say that, on the whole, Winnipeg's forwards were pretty competent at even strength. At 5v5, this Jets team actually performed up to snuff, and I was pretty impressed. Uh, Calgary really wasn't able to get a whole lot going at even strength, and Winnipeg, generally speaking, was content to try and, you know, play a little bit of back and forth with uh, north-south rushes, while grinding out some offensive zone possession and trying to create a few opportunities. For the most part, I, th- I think the top six really struggled in this particular department. Uh, Andrew Kopp was promoted to the top line with Kyle Connor and Blake Wheeler. Now, I actually thought that Kopp had a pretty strong game all around. I think that, especially on this first line, he was one of the most noticeable forwards in that top six, and he was able to get into more uh, dangerous positions, grinding along the walls for the forecheck, and trying to set up his line mates for an opportunity. Unfortunately, Kopp, I felt, was the only one on that top line who was able to perform at all. Kyle Connor had a real mare of a game, which is kind of a continuing trend with him. Ever since he was separated from Mark Shifley, I feel like a lot of the stuff that I've said about Kyle Connor's game, which is that he really struggles when somebody else isn't the one dishing him and setting him up perfect opportunities, is not really able to create space on his own. He really struggles away from the puck, and today I think was a really good illustration of why I feel like his game is fairly limited. He has all of the tools to be a top five winger in the NHL, but unfortunately that one critical aspect of of him being able to use a lot more of a mental aspect of his game just isn't quite there in order to get him to where he needs to be. I think that if he had like a really sharp approach to the offensive zone and to creating space, he'd be a totally different player. But unfortunately what we saw today from Connor was a lot of really sloppy turnovers, uh, not really great opportunities where he would take shots that maybe he shouldn't have, or on one or two odd man situations, he kind of blew it, I think, uh, back to a three-on-one where he was, I think, on the right side, and he had, you know, two other players, one a trailing in the center and another far winger on the left flank to set up an opportunity for, and instead he overcooked the pass and I think tried to take a shot or something, which, of course, the play got broken up. Now, you know, I get that odd man situations are very difficult, but with Connor, this tends to happen a lot. I think that he tends to overthink things just a little bit, and sometimes, you know, I'd rather he just commit to a really sharp angle shot from where he is, rather than overcooking the pass and there not being an attempt to begin with. As far as Wheeler is concerned, he was just kind of there. I felt like Blake has really looked slow over the past couple of games, and this could just be, you know, post-break rust that where they haven't really had many training camps, and they haven't had a whole lot of reps to kind of get back up to speed. But generally speaking, Blake just doesn't seem like he's as involved in the offensive buildup. And defensively, he's also just kind of there marking and, and trying to force turnovers and stuff. He's still a big physical forward, but I feel like a lot of his offensive game really hasn't been put to good use. 
I think the absence of a guy like Mark Shifley, who was a very clear catalyst and somebody that you constantly rely upon to be your driving uh, central slot attacker, is definitely felt with with Wheeler's noticeable drop-off in offensive productivity. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to get up to speed with Andrew Coppender Center. I think Andrew is going to do as much as he can to keep that line afloat, but I, I think our expectations should probably be a bit more measured. That said, I was still kind of disappointed. I, I felt like a couple of times he um, kind of mishandled the puck, wasn't able to win a battle along the walls, and then there was one time where he was trying to exit the zone towards the end of the game, and I believe Winnipeg was on a power play, Calgary had pulled their goalie, and Blake just got creamed at his own blue line, trying to skate the puck out and be a little bit too cute. That turnover ended up hemming the Jets into their zone for quite a bit of time, and unfortunately, it, it got real close, real real to the wire, where the Jets very nearly conceded a goal. And like, you know, Blake wasn't the only one to blame for this. Neil Pionk also had a really ugly turnover that led to an immediate counter uh, from the Calgary Flames in Winnipeg's own zone. But on the whole, I'm just not really impressed with what he's been able to put together lately. I, f- I feel like Wheeler has been missing from action for quite some time now. Um, and and yeah, you know, he he does have a pretty good tangible impact on the team's defensive structure because he is a big, strong puck carrier. But I feel like as far as his offensive game is concerned, he's not really taking shots. He hasn't been able to engage in an area of the ice where he's able to either take his own shots or really set up good chances. On the power play that's really struggling, Wheeler has not been able to find those seams and routes that he's usually known for, and he's certainly not taking many shots himself. So I'm a little concerned for him. I'm, I'm hoping that he's not dealing with any sort of ailment and that he's good to go. Maybe it's just because he's trying to you know, maintain a defensive posture and compensate for the fact that he's playing with a couple of guys who maybe don't have quite the same defensive acumen. Cop is, I think, a different story, but you know, Mark Shifley and Kyle Connor, especially in their own end, tend to have a lot of issues. I think the clearer reality with Wheeler, though, is that he's just slowing down, and this is kind of the start of a decline that we've seen over the past couple of seasons now, and maybe this this drop in production is a little more of what we should expect going forward. I would hesitate to call his performances in games like these poor, because I don't think that that is necessarily true. I just feel like they weren't particularly great, and he didn't stand out in a way where I felt comfortable giving him a, a positive review. It's an extremely small sample size, and there's always a chance that he's able to get more offensively involved as the uh, series and games wear on, but thus far, I just feel like he hasn't been able to get into that higher level of gear that we've seen from him in the past. Again, it's not super shocking given the trend that we've seen over the past couple of seasons. He is in his you know early 30s, and that time has definitely not been as kind to him as some of the other veteran players. That said, if Winnipeg is to advance past the Calgary Flames and face a difficult opponent, you know, without the services of either Shifley or Line A, if that is indeed the case going forward, he's going to have to step it up and really become an integral member of this team more so than he is in the current level of build-up play. In just a little bit, we'll talk a bit more about how Nick Ehlers fared, because he's somebody who I feel like had a lot to prove in this series, and thus far, we've had some mixed results. But aside from Ehlers, there are some really strong positives to take away, especially from the middle and bottom six. One thing that is absolutely for sure, though, is that Winnipeg is finding extreme value in the depth parts of their team. Those underrated pieces that can complete the whole picture often make a huge difference, especially in a series where the Jets are dealing with a lot of injuries. Just like the Jets are finding depth in what are often considered spare parts for a lot of NHL teams, so too will you find a lot of depth in rockauto.com's online catalog of car parts. RockAuto.com is a family-run business with over 20 years of experience in the automotive industry. Their website is easy to use and allows you to sort by make, year, model, and price range on the parts so that you always get exactly what you need at the price you want to pay. 
Whether you're an experienced professional automotive mechanic or a fledgling DIYer, rockauto.com always has the same prices for every customer. Whether you need a new engine control module or a new floor mat to replace the one that you lost your last battle with that taco sauce with, rockauto.com selection is sure to have what you need in stock at prices that can save you anywhere from 20 to 50% off retail brick and mortar stores. If you place an order, be sure to write locked on in the how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com. Earlier in the show, I mentioned that guys like Nick Ehlers had a bit of a rough outing, and you know, he's not alone in this respect. As far as the top six goes, I think that we saw some performances from guys like Kyle Connor and Blake Wheeler that left me a little bit wanting. Unfortunately, Nick Ehlers kind of fell into that same camp. I felt like Ehlers, especially tonight, really struggled to know where he needed to be on the ice, and as far as trying to make too many cute plays that ended up, you know, resulting in bad turnovers, or a couple of passes and things that shouldn't have occurred because he was maybe a little too casual with it, this just wasn't his finest game, and one of those uh, lazy passes that he made towards the center slot in his own end ended up on a Calgary stick where Perot and Morrissey didn't really seem to recognize what was going on, and the puck immediately found a Calgary stick and was converted into an easy goal to cut the deficit down to 2-1 when the Jets were up 2-0. It's a play that just shouldn't happen, especially at this level, but, you know, I'm hesitant to harp on Ehlers too, too much because I know that we've seen much better from him, and I know that he certainly has given us quite a bit of offensive jump, and he's also one of the best transition skaters in the NHL. That said, next game he needs to be a lot better, or else he's going to see his uh, ice time diminish. Though Ehlers did struggle, he also did score, I believe, the game-winning goal of record on the power play, which this power play had gone dry for almost the entire night, and believe me, the Jets had quite a few opportunities to uh, convert on the power play. It did take a bit of a lucky deflection, though, uh, I believe off of a Pionk wrister, and Ehlers ended up managing to deflect it downwards and just past Cam Talbot to get the Jets a 3-2 lead. It was a very tight one because at that point Calgary had tied the game on another bit of an unlucky play where I think Sam Bennett had bounced the puck off of Nate Beaulieu's skate. But, you know, the Jets, again, were victims of their own mistakes, and this was an opportunity for Ehlers, who was responsible for the first goal against, to kind of clear his name. It's also his first career playoff goal ever, which I think is a huge monkey off of his back. He's always been somebody who's really great at creating chances for himself and others, but not necessarily able to capitalize on those opportunities. That playoff goal is hopefully the first of many in his hopefully long career because we all know that Ehlers is a very special player, he's very important to this team, and we all love him for a variety of reasons. Speaking of a uh, first career playoff goal, I have to say that I was very impressed with NHL playoff debut lineup guy Janssen Harkins, who you could argue was coming in for either of Shifley or Line A, doesn't really matter, he had to step in regardless. I believe he was on the third line, or maybe the second, no, third line, with uh, Lowry and Roslovic. It did not take him long to find the score sheet either. Adam Lowry was skating through the neutral zone, and I think either on his backhand or something, fed this beautiful saucer pass right between two Calgary skaters, and found Harkins, who detected a huge gap on the left flank, um, wide open in the neutral zone, great pass, Harkins skated in with the puck and just wristed an absolutely lethal shot right past Talbot over the right side. Harkins had to come in during, I think, an exhibition game the other night and actually had a pretty good uh, opportunity in like his first couple of shifts, especially close into the net. And I think that's where Harkins often has a lot of real estate. 
He's a surprisingly uh, big skater who can kind of get into those tight, greasy areas, and he's not afraid to engage in net front battles. He has a really high work ethic, and he's somebody who also has a very good transition game because he's very strong on the puck. He makes good uh, decisions while handling the puck. His vision is sharp. His IQ is pretty good. He's just a really well-rounded middle six to top six skater. Maurice said that, you know, throughout his entire career, Harkins has always earned his way into whatever lineups he's gotten in, and that is absolutely true of tonight. And hopefully his really strong performance, he was actually one of Winnipeg's best skaters overall, I, I think should convince Maurice to keep him in. I was kind of bummed that he wasn't in to begin with because, you know, for all that we say about Cody Eakin, it is true that Harkins is already better than Cody at this stage of his career. Harkins is just such a really versatile player and that he could probably play center if you genuinely asked him to, but I think, you know, obviously he prefers those flanking areas where he can kind of streak up and down the ice because he's just a really good smooth skater, he's good on the puck, and he just seems to know where he needs to be at all times. I also was very impressed with Adam Lowry, who had a bit of a monster game, although very much underrated. He was pretty much involved in most of Winnipeg's goals, if not all of them. I think he had one goal and two assists. He's had a big series thus far, and I've been very impressed with his overall offensive and defensive game. Lowry is somebody who can very much carry the weight of the middle six to bottom six, especially in those uh, matchup areas where he needs to win against some of Calgary's depth forwards. That said, I feel like Lowry is earning a bit more of a role, especially with Shifley out and Cop having to take up uh, top six duties. Really, I just feel like that third line needs to be given more ice time in general, and maybe cut back a little bit on either the first or second line's time, most preferably the first line. I think the first line was struggling a little bit because Connor just wasn't able to get up and down the ice in a way that was efficient and allowed him to actually create space. We did get to see Perot on the second line, and I thought that he had a very good game. He had a couple of really great shifts where some of his passes were really sharp. I thought that he was creating, trying to create some really dangerous opportunities. Unfortunately, Eakin really wasn't able to capitalize on any of those opportunities, and Ehlers was kind of having one of those games where he just wasn't in the right positions either. Next game, though, if uh, Ehlers and Perot are together again, hopefully Nick is able to better utilize those opportunities and passing lanes that uh, Perot has often given him maybe get a bit more even-strength offense going. I think that that line has potential to be a very decent second line, so long as Eakin kind of avoids getting himself into trouble like he did tonight, where he took one or two nasty little penalties. And if Ehlers can avoid turnovers and Perot keeps doing his thing without getting injured, that could be a useful second line. In a little bit, we'll talk about how the fourth line and goaltending held up, because I think both actually were pretty decent, all told. And the fourth line, which I thought was going to have a really tough night, wasn't actually that bad. Some might say the fourth line had an even heroic performance against the villainous Calgary Flames. And speaking of heroes and villains, you should check out Your Story, a startup indie comic book, graphic novel, and game publisher based in the local Winnipeg area. Your Story is currently launching a line of comic books, starting with their flagship title, The River Knows, set in Winnipeg in the 1960s. It's a film noir detective series with supernatural elements similar to X-Files crossed with the Mad Men. You can check out The River Knows on their website at yourstory.ca and purchase both the ebook and a limited edition print version of the comic. I've actually had the pleasure to check this one out myself, and I really enjoy the art style, which is very much, if you've ever read like Sin City, it kind of has that same uh, very much dark, gritty, slightly supernatural, and a little bit mysterious vibe going on. It's also got a scene set in Portage in Maine, so you definitely know it's a Winnipeg story. 
If you like video games, Your Story is also launching an all-ages, family-friendly game featuring Old Man Gil, a grumpy old man who, through the intervention of a well-placed meteorite that lands in his cucumber patch, gains the ability to see aliens. You can check out Alien Machine Glow and all other comics at yourstory.ca to purchase ebooks or the limited edition, high-quality first printing run of their 85 by magazine-style comics. Use one-time promo code JETS2020 to get 15% off your order. Again, that is JETS2020 to get 15% off your order. I half-jokingly said the fourth line had a bit of a heroic performance, but I do actually think that the line of Bork, Shaw, and Shore was more okay than I expected. Uh, I think Logan Shaw actually had a pretty decent shot attempt that almost resulted in a bit of a sneaky goal, and Nick Shore continues to prove to me why I really want the Jets to keep him around. He's like your ideal fourth-line center, but I think what separates Shore from a lot of other guys is that even though he doesn't have a lot of really high-end skill sets or tool sets, What he does possess is a pretty good IQ, he's got very good vision and very good passing, which I think allows him to get into a lot of spots where other guys aren't really looking, and he's actually made some great passes to his line mates. This fourth line actually drew, I believe, a penalty. Uh, Somebody got cross-checked, might be Shaw or Bork, somebody was uh, in front of the net and got shoved down, which, of course, drawing penalties is always a good thing, especially if you're playing like a fourth line grindy energy role and you want to make a positive impact. That's absolutely the way to earn a bit of ice time. They also did pretty well against Calgary's fourth line, which somehow still has Zach Ronaldo in the year 2020, which I don't really know or understand why that's a thing, but to each their own, I suppose. As far as Connor Hellebuck was concerned, I thought that he had a pretty good night. Uh, he only surrendered a couple of goals, and you know I don't think that either of them were really ones that he could do much on, especially the second goal that was off of Beaulieu's skate. Uh, that first goal was a bit of an ugly turnover from Ehlers that left him a bit stranded, and the Beaulieu goal is just kind of fluky. Otherwise, I don't think that he faced too many high-danger opportunities, but there were some tricky deflections here and there, and one or two uh, closer-in opportunities that he was very much set and in position to manage. Hellebuck's defenders in front of him were okay, if, you know, not exactly spectacular, but not terrible either. I think I only saw a couple of really bad uh, turnovers from guys like Pionk that, you know, after his last game I was a bit concerned about. For the most part, though, Neil was fine, and he actually had a, a power play assist on, I believe, Ehler's goal, so... You know, I'm not going to complain after he had like four turnovers against, I think it was Vancouver or something. And I think that that kind of generally sums up my thoughts on this performance from the Jets. At even strength, this team was pretty good against Calgary. Like the Flames just weren't able to get into any really high danger areas. The Jets sort of managed and were actually surprisingly physical. Um, Sometimes they were a little too physical and took a few undisciplined penalties. Uh, Ehlers was unfortunately on that list of guys who maybe needed to chill his grill a little bit. But I will say that this series has definitely brought out a lot of uh, bitter hatred between these two teams, especially after Shifley and Line's injuries. I think the Shifley one still very much sits in the craw of every Jets player and fan right now. I addressed Paul Maurice's comments on the Lockdown National Show, hosted by Sarah Avampato, so be sure to check that out. But if you want a brief summation, all I said was that I don't think Matthew Tuchuk definitely intended to injure Shifley in the way that he did but I'm still not entirely convinced that that incident where he lifted his skate was 100% clean. For all of the ruckus, though, I think the Jets played a pretty strong game. The only issue that I I definitely, you know, want to see a lot more from, uh, especially in the future and in the series and beyond, if the Jets get past the Flames, is the special teams. The power play is just absolutely atrocious. It's like one of the worst power plays the Jets have ever had. And without Liney, it's really clear that they're missing that big one-time opportunity. I don't envy Maurice's job in trying to fix this special teams unit, but I just wasn't impressed by what I saw at 5v4 or even on 5v3 where the Jets actually did have a a two-minute 
five-on-three opportunity. Like, the Jets just kept kind of slowly passing around and taking some pot shots, but nothing all that dangerous. The power play isn't likely to get fixed until next season, though, so for now we just have to hope that their even-strength play, which was pretty decent, continues to be so. I believe the Jets play again tomorrow, so on next episode we'll have a recap of what the game, you know, looks like and ultimately what that means for the series going forward. Crossing our fingers, the Jets pull off a nice win. Thanks so much for listening. Before you log off, be sure to check out our Locked On National podcast, again, hosted by Sir Evan Pato. You can find some of my segments on there as well. Hopefully you guys enjoy that show. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great night, and go Jets go!